Glory to God. Welcome back. If you were on the last stream and you're thinking, why did it end? Just come to the new stream. Um, man, for the, the, the first annual one, one Body Braided Together gathering, I could think of n no better way for it to culminate than for Barty to share. Right to to wrap it all up and and just uh, wash our feet as he does so often and that we're always so thankful for, man. It's nice to feel a good washing, you know, especially as you walk in the world. It's like a sign and a wonder, right? You you go through a day and you feel I need a shower. You walk a day in this world and you can feel as if you need a good washing. You see, and and Jesus, you know, said that there would be a washing from the word. And it's not just a scripture, a washing from the scriptures, although you can find the word in the scriptures. It's the washing that comes upon you when someone declares the word of life. And so, Bertie, thank you for always washing all of our feet with the word of life. Come on up, man. I think the Lord will save all of you by not switching this thing off. Do you understand what I'm saying? So thank you so much, uh, Greg, again, for setting this up, everybody that was involved in this. I want to thank each one of you for coming out, you know, that we could minister and share the gospel. I like what Philip said there, and that is that who you are draws something out. You know, and I find that as I travel and preach the gospel, that I'm learning as I'm going. You know, because people draw things and God says things to people. And I am standing also learning as, as I'm going. So uh, this is an exciting time for me, um, sharing the good news. And I think this conference has just done, um, it's just been so well. And I think... Uh, Gwen, you've summed it up with what each person have said very well, you know, and bringing forth what the Lord has brought through everybody. And um, I'm going to, and what I'm going to minister on now is just a little bit on where things started for me, where things really started to change as pertaining to the resurrection. And why, and I think that what you would, touching on there, Gwen, is very powerful, <clears throat> and that is that, and I was sitting there and I was thinking, what you're actually addressing is a gospel that's been preached that's where the resurrection was not even necessary. You know, just having a gospel where if Jesus rose or not, who cares? You know, as long as what he died for my sin, and I can go to heaven, glory to God, now, that is no gospel at all. I want to just say that. That is no gospel at all. So I'm going to talk about that, and I would like to, if it works out like that, depends on what you guys draw here, <laughs> you know. Let's blame it on the people. <laughs> um, I just want to say there, if some of my people from South Africa is watching, uh, greetings, you know, I'm really longing to see your faces and hug you, thank you for who you are and always loving on Eliana and I and uh, being such a good support for all of us, we love you dearly. So what I want to talk about then is a little bit on forgiveness and continue along the lines of what I did say, but I want to lay a little bit of a different foundation and maybe uh, emphasize what I said in the first meeting or the first session that I've had. Before we do that, let us pray. My Abba, I want to thank you that you love us. You have dreamt things for us in this world that we could never even pray for. That is higher than what we could ever have imagined. I want to thank you for your faithfulness and your stability 
in sticking with what you always promised and not veer away from what you have dreamt for us. Father, I want to thank you that you didn't settle for some Gnostic idea of bringing forth life in this earth, but that you have said that I've made the earth and I've made it good and I've made people here and I've got a dream and that dream shall manifest and then you stuck to that plan. And that nothing can change it, nothing will ever change it. Jesus, I want to thank you that I can behold in my spirit the fullness of God bodily in a human being to the point that I can drop to my knees and, and worship, worship you. Seeing, saying like Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Because you are God ruling in the earth as a man. Speak to me, Lord, and the heart that you've put inside me, help me to give utterance to what you speak to me. And Lord, I want to say and only speak what you've already spoken to people, that it can resonate with their hearts. Amen. Just want to get my water there. Forgot it. We as humans, in our being, scream for the salvation of this world. We love this world. When we think of what's going on in the news media and in our country, when we think of our families, when we think of what's going on in the world at large, we want order. We want life in this world. We've got a dream inside us to see that it will go well in this world. But sadly, there is something that has happened in humanity, which is a kind of a Gnosticism that has crept in, wherein we've got this cry inside our heart, where we want heaven on earth, where we want our family safe, where we want our bodies to be healthy, we want to be well, we want to see prosperity for all, we want to see peace in the world, we want to see all of that, just to leave it and go somewhere. That is a problem. It's an anti-gospel, anti-Christian thought. Now, sorry for being radical today, but I'm leaving today. So I'm just going to let it all out. Hallelujah. My Savior is not Socrates. You know, when Jesus was facing death, the man sweated blood. That is not because he was feeling so joyful. Some say he feared. Some say Jesus can never feel fear. Whatever you want to call it, the man sweated blood. He didn't feel very comfortable because he was facing death. Now I want to tell you when we define death and when I talk about death, I'm not using it as a metaphor. I'm not using it to describe a feeling when I don't get a parking. I hope you hear what I'm saying. I'm not describing death as the feeling inside me when my son doesn't pass an exam or when I don't have money in my bank account or when somebody rejects me. That's not death. That is feeling rejected. 
when I, and I mean we can say it is kinds of death and whatsoever, but I'm going for the real thing today. When I talk about death, I'm talking about boom, done, non-existence, dead, dust. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about real death. I'm talking about what God warned Adam against. Adam, you are of the dust of the earth, and if you don't believe what I am telling you, this is my judgment, not that God brings it, but this is God's opinion about the matter which will manifest, and that is that you are dust and you will return to the dust of the earth, and that is God's definition of death. God's definition of death is to die. We ask, you know, when I ask somebody, what will happen if you die? Then they describe a form of life. I'm saying, and what I'm addressing today is death. And I think one of the greatest lies that has ever been believed in the church is this. When God said to man, you can surely die, then the devil said, you cannot die. Now that is something we need to look at. Now I want to say this. We scream for life in this world. Why? Because the voice of God is already in our hearts. That which God wants for this world, that this world will not perish, that this world will not die, that this world will be well, that the fullness of God will manifest in this world, is in each one of our hearts. We want it. But I think what happens in our minds is we cannot get what we've traditionally heard to link with this desire that we have in our heart. And we kind of think it is fleshly. We kind of think, do I love the world too much? Am I worldly? You're not worldly. If you want the world to be full of life, you're heavenly. Let me use a radical example to explain to you how unlivable our traditional way of looking at eternal life is. I'm using this as an example to explain how unlivable our traditional view is. Imagine, and please excuse me if this is an example that might touch your life, that something like this has happened to you. I'm not trying to be uh, insensitive towards it, but it's a very powerful example which I believe will hit the heart of every person that's hearing me today. If you have a child that's eight years old, and your child is here playing here at the conference, walking up and down and so forth, and everybody, you know, hugs him or her and whatsoever, and it is so nice. And I come to you and I say, you know, I've just been out in the street. A car came and I've got good news for you to the mom. Your child is now with Jesus. Are you happy? But isn't it the most wonderful place? Aren't we supposed to be so happy? Can you see how unlivable it is? It's not livable. It's really not livable. We are faking our joy. I'm looking at my friend whose, whose wife, Sabrina, passed away. The man is sad. Why his wife? died. His wife died. He said, if our child gets killed in the, in, the, in, in the street today and somebody come with the good news, listen man, your child is running up and down the streets of heaven. Glory to God. Nobody's happy. Nobody's happy. Because there's something deeper inside us that says, even if it would be the case, it is, there's an injustice. 
that's an injustice and that child needs justice. There's no justice for that child without resurrection. And that is what I want to talk about today. The necessity of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus to bring justice to this world. The Bible in Romans chapter 5 verse 19 talks about the justification of life. That is not the justification of just feeling happy when you're going through a difficult time. The justification of life that the Apostle Paul had in mind is when a human being is transformed, I don't even want to say bodily, as a human into the fullness of what God has put on display in Jesus when He appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. That is God's dream for you, and that's what God's dream is for this world. And I want to tell you, nothing will ever satisfy you unless you see that. Nothing will satisfy you. Nothing will give you true peace, because that is the eternity that God has written in the hearts of all people. I just want to say this again. I'm not saying there's no heaven or, or any of that. You know, thank God for heaven, but heaven is not the end of the world. Hallelujah. God has got life for us. He's got eternal life for us. And when we define eternal life, when we define life and all those kind of things, so many times it's as if we are scared to define it in the parameters wherein God put it on display in the resurrected, glorified Jesus. Let's use God's terms. Let's use the biblical terms on what God has displayed. Let's use God's word on death. What's God's word on death? Jesus is God's word on death. The man died. That's God's word on death. What's God's word on eternal life? He's raised from the dead never to die. There's a scripture in the Bible where Jesus appears and he says, I am the one. I was dead. Now I'm alive and I will live forevermore. What is he talking about? He's talking about the human Jesus living forever, never dying. We don't define death as not having acceptance. I don't define death. I'm talking about myself. You can define it a different way. But I don't define death as being rejected by people. And I don't define death by who governs a country. I define death as a man dying and returning to the dust of the ground as defined in Genesis chapter 3 by God Himself, out of the words and the mouth of the Alpha and the Omega. Now, if you want to differ with that, bring it to the table, we talk about it. But I define death as the problem that there is in the world where the only solution is the glorified raised Jesus that has come to give us life. When we see this, we can redefine terms like what is salvation, what is sin, what is justification, what is righteousness, what is belief, what is alpha, what is omega, what is creation, what is the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And the church needs that. We truly need that. I want to just give you an example of what life looked like in the early church to the Apostle Paul when he was writing a letter to a guy called Timothy, a teenager, a very young guy. There was another guy that traveled with Paul called Mark. This young guy, Mark, imagine a young boy of 15 years old or 14 years old traveling with Paul. The Christians are dying around him. And then he said one day, well, I think I'm going home. This is a bit too much for me. And Paul thought, what's wrong with the young man? He's fearing death. 
Now we today in the church, this is very difficult for us, but I think we need to grapple with it and grab a hold of it and see the centrality of the resurrection of Jesus to see what God is bringing forth in this world. And it will bring great joy to us. It will bring a freedom to us that we could never have imagined. One of our favorite scriptures in 2 Timothy 1 verse uh, 7, which says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Amen? Now I want to read the context. Wherefore I, put, wherefore I put to remembrance that you stir up the gift of God, which was uh, in you by the putting on of my hands. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. That Jesus was raised from the dead. Nor of me his prisoner. Now he's explaining what it means to have a spirit not of fear. But be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. What does that mean? He says, be willing to die because you'll be raised from the dead. <laughs> We've got power and a sound mind in a different way. That's not what Paul preached. That's not the context of Paul. Paul is saying to Timothy, listen, I'm seeing you not stirring up the gift of an evangelist to preach the gospel because you're a bit afraid to die for the gospel. But I want to tell you, you don't have to be afraid. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, which was that He was bodily raised. And I want to refuse, I refuse to word, use the word bodily again. That Jesus was raised from the dead. This bodily thing is a kind of a, a creeping in of Gnosticism. Let's say Jesus was raised from the dead. It's not a sin to say Jesus died. It's not a sin to say Jesus was raised. It's not a sin to say that we can be raised. And it's not a sin to say that God can function and bring forth what is dreamt into this world. Hallelujah. So what does he say to Timothy? He says to Timothy here, Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, that Jesus the man is Lord, that he was raised from the dead, nor of me his prisoner, but be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. What is the power of God? Go and read Ephesians 1 from verse 15 onwards. The power of God is the power that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. If I stand here and I'm afraid to preach this testimony of the resurrection of Jesus, I, that fear would be a fear of what? A fear of what people can do to me, a fear of rejection, a fear of not being loved, a fear of the ministry not growing, which would at the end of the day spell, well, you're maybe not going to have money, and what will happen then? Then you're going to die. But you see, I've already conquered the fear of death, therefore I'm free to say whatever I want. Hallelujah. We've conquered, when you've conquered the fear of death, you can, like Timothy, not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. I've got a testimony. I can testify about something. Like Gwen testified, Jesus was raised from the dead and His rule is over my life. I'm under the rule of life and cannot be condemned even if I get killed. You cannot condemn me with death, cannot condemn you with death. You'll be raised from the dead. Hallelujah. The early church, when they were standing in the, um, uh, 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 the Colosseum where they, had, where they killed the Christians, they died in such a hope, knowing the resurrection, that some of the Romans that were looking at it threw themselves in amongst the animals to say, I want to die with thee. Imagine that. That is conquering the fear of death. Because death was truly defined for what it truly is. And the resurrection has now power in this world to set people free from it.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Every part of us, the whole being, spirit, soul, and body, has been promised life. For that's God's dream. Hallelujah. Listen to what it says to Timothy. It says, Be not ashamed of my testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be a partaker in the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ before the world began. So he says, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid to be persecuted. Don't be afraid to be murdered. That's what Paul's saying. He's, then he goes on and he says, he has saved us. Saved us from what? Amen. And he has called us with a holy calling. Now we might say, what is this holy calling? It says in verse 10, He's made His holy calling manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel that Jesus was raised from the dead. Hallelujah. This makes you untouchable. Every other voice is condemned by this. Hallelujah. Listen to verse 11. This message that death has been abolished, wherein he has now just told Timothy, don't be afraid to preach. For death has been abolished. He says, this gospel, he says, I am appointed unto it as a preacher and an apostle. Hallelujah. If God looked at all the problems of the world and he analyzed everything and he broken it down to the real problem and what the real solution is, he said, the problem here is very simple. The folk that I love is dying. And how can I continue to have a relationship with them if they die? I want them to live. For the dream that God had from the beginning was to take dust, form the dust into a human to present himself to the dust in the hope that the dust would love what they see and should the dust love this life of God as saying, I want that, then God would give you the spirit of eternal life and so seal you into the fullness of what he is in physicality. I want to tell you this message might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable here and what about this, what about that. But let me put it this way. Let's say it's a lie. If it was true, it would have given a lot of hope, wouldn't it? It would make us feel as if Jesus is truly Lord. It would make us feel as if the earth and the fullness thereof belongs to God. It would make us feel as if the scripture that says, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters covers the sea. And what is God's glory? God's glory is that He's not mortal, but that He's eternal. Hallelujah. And as this settles in our heart, we'll find the tenacity of the early church. We will find something inside us where we find we have a power within us that is greater than what this world can ever bring against us. We will be a voice of hope. 
I love what Greg said there, you know, uh, 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 about the church being the, the body of Jesus. If you could be on the moon and you would look at the earth, you'll find the body of Jesus, the eternal, immortal, the Son of God being shaped and formed in this earth in you. Hallelujah. He's building. He's building. If the building is not completely manifested while you are alive, don't think you're going to miss out. He'll raise you. And you'll share in the fullness. The Bible says those who are alive now will not proceed or share in the fullness before those that have died. For those that have died will be raised immortal. Once they raised immortal, we shall be changed. And so shall we experience the fullness of God in this earth. For the Bible says, Our Lord, out of His own mouth, taught us how to pray. Our Father. So beautiful, our Father. I mean, it's very good to say, My Father. But you know, there's just something powerful when you say our Father. Our Father. May your name of the Eternal One that has got no beginning or end be exalted in the earth. How will the name of the Eternal be exalted in the earth outside of the body that He has chosen wherein He will do it? Which is you. And man, you know, from the beginning, it's almost like uh, with Job. You know, many times we think that Job was just going through a difficult time, but I want to tell you, I read Job the other day, and I don't understand everything in Job, but I understand this. I think the accusation was more against God than against Job. Because Job's, God said, I can bring forth a righteous man in the earth that lives from me. And Satan said to God, you think you can bring forth such a person in this earth? It is impossible. Job is in the thing for the stuff. Job is just serving you because he's got a nice house and he drives a Bentley and he's got the nicest air conditioning and he's got a view over the lake. Then God said, no, I can, by my power, bring forth a man in this earth that carries my righteousness, that is, as I am, by me, by not trying to have a deal with me to get stuff, but just because He loves me. So many times we want to think of Job as just a, a, a book that is founded in historicity. Now, I'm not saying there was not a guy like Job, please. I'm just saying this. There's a message through Job that we are missing. What is the message? The message is this, that Job was then a man of whom everything was stripped away and we found a righteous man in the earth which God can bring forth. And that's a message to all of us so that we can know what if they take everything. You know what? Then you're still going to love God. You're still going to be full of God. Why? Because God can bring a man forth in this earth that bears His glory, that is of heaven, that carries the fullness of God, that is not defined by the things of this world. And God then even added a double to Job, simply showing that Job's life is not, for, of, not found in the abundance of his possessions. So let, just, let me just give him a lot. Hallelujah. Do you know how nice it is to drive a car and the car is not driving you? Do you know how nice it is to walk in this earth knowing you judge all things but you are not judged by anyone? 
for you have the word of life. And we are saying we are now the sons of the eternal, immortal God as humans. We are saying it. People will say, well, you are not. Where's your sonship? You're not a son of God. You die like all of us. God will raise us up in a voice of judgment against the world, saying, these are my sons. We know we are sons. And we see one another as the sons of God. And let me tell you what a son of God is. A son of God is an eternal, immortal human that carries the fullness of the glory of God. Now are we the sons, but what we are might not yet appear. But when He appears, the Bible says, we shall see Him as He is, for we shall be as He is. Hallelujah. Where will that be? Planet Earth. Glory to God. What's happening in the earth cannot confuse us anymore. It cannot confuse us in the clarity of God's Word put on display in the empty grave. Hallelujah. We've got a message of life. Now imagine we start to believe this. Imagine we start to really believe this. Do you know what kind of generosity can be birthed in you? Because you're not living from your stuff anymore. Imagine that. Well, and, and I listen, if you've, li you've listened, those of you that listen to me online, I never speak about money. So when I now speak about money, I'm not trying to, it's too late to give an offer. Okay? <laughs> I want to bring the truth across. You will not be so scared to take something and bless someone else because that money means life. You will not be scared to take some of it and give it to someone else. You will not be scared because it doesn't give you life. The reason why people serve money or serve mammon in this world, there's two gods. God and, well, it's just one God, but please hear me out. Don't get a theological fit here. There's two gods, the, uh, the, the, the mammon, and God. Why mammon? Because mammon, money, is the, if we want to use the word money, it is the power of man where the work of man is put in a currency by which it's exchanged for things to produce the life man can produce by his own power. Okay. Now, unless you know that God has come to bring heaven to earth, you will not be free from that thing. You will never be free from it. You will never have the voice it speaks. It will always speak to you. It will always bring an, an anxiety to you. Because it spells life. It spells comfort. It spells peace. Why do we want comfort in this world? It's very simple. The human body functions like this. And I want to make it very physical here. Pain equals closeness to death. Okay? So, you don't want to feel pain. Why don't you want to feel pain? Because if you feel a pain in your stomach, you've seen five other people, oh, they get a pain in the stomach. Then they really complain. This pain in the stomach they got after they were uh, out in the cold. Now they start to get a pain or they start to get an ugly cough, and they cough, and they cough, and they cough, and then they cough blood, and then they die. Oh. I don't need to be in the cold. 
So I need to build a house. And this house must be double insulated. And oh my goodness, I don't want to get out in the cold. So I want the car that when I press the button, it starts and gets the climate at the right temperature so that I can get in the car and drive. <laughs> and in order to get that, I need five businesses. And I need to really work hard to do that. And oh my gosh, now there's somebody that wants to steal my money. I need a big gun. I need an army. Because I don't want to die. Can you see how the fear of death is into all this? Can you see if we take the spiritual Jesus and see how we can bring forth a spiritual body, which is not a non-physical body, but spiritual meaning its life is from the Spirit. It can never end or die. And how it can set you free from being controlled by the world. When does politics have its power in our heart? Is when we have our five businesses and then we've got a government and this government must create a scenario where we can successfully run our businesses and now if this government is not right, oh, then my five businesses are not going to be there and if I don't have my five businesses, then I'm not going to have the double insulation and if I don't have the double insulation, I'm going to cough blood and I'm going to die. Can you see how relevant the resurrection is? Can you see how, you know, how you stand with your feet firmly planted in the vision and the original intent of God when you start to believe that God has come to bring forth eternal life in this earth and how we are now born again? unto a new and living hope and how we are resurrected from the dead and we are saved from this world. I'm not, when we talk about saved from the world, it doesn't mean you leave the world. It simply means that you are not born from the world. The double insulation advertisements can keep you busy all day. But if you know you have life, if you know that you've got eternal life, you'll find that those things is not of most importance anymore. It is just the place where you live. And when all the threats come, but what if they do this? What if they do that? What if this expropriation of land in South Africa and the government does that and whatever? The question behind the question behind the question is, what if I die? Because you as a human being knows you are much more than just a spirit living in a body and you know that it takes much more than just a spirit being in a body for you to be you. It's very radical. But one of the great things I've put in my notes here, I wanted to start with that, but I put in my notes, where did it change for me? It changed for me when I realized I'm a human being. I remember the first time I realized that, I think I said that it has to be 2016 and I had to realize that I'm a human. Oh, but the Bible says there's a physical body or natural body and a spiritual body. Let me explain that. You get a gasoline car and you get a diesel car. Both of them are cars. Both of them are physical and they drive in this earth. So you can get a spiritual body and a natural body. A natural body needs some food and needs some oxygen. That, that's a natural body. Becomes old, needs the restroom, needs to wash and all those kind of things. Then you get 
That very same body can be made a spiritual body. It simply means the thing that gives it life is not natural anymore. It is from God. Where you can now live forever. Where you don't, you'll breathe oxygen. You'll breathe it, but you don't live from it. Jesus ate food after his resurrection, but it wasn't that piece of fish that gave him life. Because he was now what is what we call the natural creation, recreated or new creation took place. And that is what God has promised us. And now, we can come to the place where God promises all of this and we can say, my daddy will fetch me at school. But I think what has happened is God has arrived at school and he's saying, Adam, where are you? Where are you? This is what I've promised you. No, God, I'm somewhere here in some spiritual experience somewhere. But I've come to meet you in the earth. I have made you here so that you can feel me, touch me, handle me, so that, I, so that you can experience my fullness. That's why, that's where I want to meet you. No, but God, I, I became scared. I start to become afraid. Some people say to me, you cannot fetch me and bring what you've promised forth. We need to reinterpret these things. It cannot be. And fear starts to happen in my heart. So I was scared that I'm going to die. So I would rather look at my own power and I'll make sure that I'm not going to die. I will, by the sweat of my brow, by my own ability, create a world for me where I at least can have some kind of life. Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? What does Adam mean? Adam means, it, is, it comes from the Greek, the Hebrew word for earth, which is the word Adama. So he's called Adam. Why did God call him Adam? means of the earth. We call it man and so forth. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 I believe got the essence of it. And he says the first man was of the earth, earthy. That's Adam. So he makes the earthy man and he promises the earthy man that he will, should he want the heavenly life, seal the heavenly life unto him and make him a heavenly being. Now, I'm not talking about an angel now. I'm talking about an earth, a man that's formed from the dust of the earth that has got the life of heaven. And Adam looked at all of that and he says, no. I'd rather trust my own power. This is too scary. You call me of the dust of the earth and you say to me that I do possess the ability to die. I don't even want to face the fact that you're saying that. I don't want to hear that I can possibly die. No, 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 no. It's better for me to believe that I can never die. So let me take matters into own hands here. I can never die. I'm fine. And God says, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? I want to give you life. I've promised you. I've made you from the dust of the earth. And you know what? Man did not believe, but God's vision hasn't ended. And God says, well, if that is what is happening, I'll enter into the death of man and I'll set matters right. I'll set things straight. 
I raised the man, he raised the man from the dead so that the death that came into this world through the disobedience of one man is reversed. And now we are forgiven of the sin that Adam committed. We are delivered from the death that came into this world. And we see Jesus. The Bible says we are not yet seeing everything under His feet, but we do see Jesus high and lifted up. And the enemy is made a footstool for His feet. And the last enemy of what God wants in this earth shall be conquered in our bodies, and that is death itself. Mortality in our bodies shall be conquered, for God has come to bring His rule in this earth. Hallelujah. Man, I don't know if I hear this message on every pulpit. But I want to tell you, it's made me happy. It's given me hope. It makes me drive, you know, we drive that little car through America. I think I've drive 4,000 something miles with that little Mini Cooper. We're driving that thing between these big trucks. I drive here and I feel I own this place. This is my home. And God is busy restoring all of this to the glory that He has dreamt by the power of heaven. And I'm very comfortable. I'm speaking to the people that I will speak to and fellowship with forevermore. I'm already seeing and I can embrace and I can hug the bodies of those and the, the people that will exist forevermore. My friends, my family, my people. And should it be, listen man, I don't know if I've had this. You know, thank God that He has delivered me. But I was a bit of a speed freak, you know. It wasn't a problem for me to go 220, 225 miles an hour on a motorbike. I would get on that thing, I'd be so scared. And I would say, God, I'm addicted, you need to help me. Just keep me alive until you set me free. That was truly my prayer. Then I would take that motorbike, drive away from home. I'd see my little kids there. And I don't know if I'll see them later. That's the bondage. And I prayed. And the Lord Jesus Christ has set me completely free. Hallelujah. I can still appreciate a fast car. But I'm not addicted. I find a life that has come to me that is of an abundance that no person could ever have told me about. I feel that I've got an eternal life inside me that I don't have to try and see how close I can come to death on my motorbike to escape it, to try and convince myself I'm in control of death. Because that's what it's about. All these people that jump off mountains is not because they're not scared of death. It's because of their fear of death. They want to jump down there so they can control it, so they can feel they can control death. It's because of their fear of death. That's why they did it. That's why I did it. I didn't want to die. And I wanted to show myself I'm in control of death. But now I know. Even if I was, I now I know I've got eternal life. If I think of my children, and I think of how I used to drive, and I think of them, and they drive, you can have this thing. What if they do what daddy did? You know what? I had to deal with that. The first time my son got in his car, and I'm sure you that our parents know this, when they drive away there, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, you're busy in tongues. You are fearing in the name of the Lord. 
You know where I have come? My son has got a life. If he lives on this earth and something should happen that he dies, he hasn't missed out. He will just be raised. In the light of eternity, if he dies today, in the light of eternity and he's raised up, it's nothing. It is absolutely nothing. Now, I know many of you don't want to hear that. But I want to tell you there's a freedom in that that you cannot. That's greater than anything. There's a freedom in that. Absolute freedom. Now, if you ask me in my heart, do you think it's going to happen to him or whatever? I say no. I say, what do you wish for your child? A long and healthy life. Glory to God. But the question is not about the, 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 the question that we have in our heart is not, is he got, you know, the, the, what do you want for him? The question is, what if he doesn't get that? What if he dies? That's the question. And then we come, no, that's not going to happen and whatever. Then there's a voice inside you and say, why are you so scared to answer the question? There must be something. If I come home late and Eliana says to me, you know, you said you're going to be here at 7, and it is 11. Why are you late? And I say to her, don't you trust me? Mm-hmm, there's something. Isn't it? So what if your child dies? No, he's not going to die. Why are you not answering the question? Why do you not answering the question? No, because the Lord will not do it, and this verse, that. What if he dies? That's the question. The answer is, it, you will see when you wake up, what happens? He will live forever. He'll be raised from the dead in this earth, and my fear of death has been conquered. Even the what if has been conquered. Now, my belief for my child is a healthy life, wonderful children, and all of that. But I had to answer the what if. Glory to God. And fear of death has left because Jesus was raised from the dead. I've got good news for you. I've got good news for you. Jesus Christ, listen to this, I have, I'll end up with this. Jesus Christ, let me, let me say this then end up. How do we define judgment in the light of what I've preached now? Oh, we're so scared of the judgment of God. No, we're not scared of the judgment of God because God's judgment is thus. That you believe upon me, you have life. And my God's judgment, God's faith is that by him, he'll produce his fullness in this earth. And without him, there is no life. That's his judgment. And we're finding his judgment being manifest in this earth. And he's bringing forth his judgment to death. Thank God for his judgment. So what is justification? It is only just if that is God's dream that he exercises his dream towards his people and gives them that life. That is justification. What is righteousness? Righteousness is the good action of God in the earth. The good things that he is doing. His righteous actions in the earth. That's the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is not a legal standing before God according to the law. If I am made the righteousness of God, do you know what that means? That doesn't mean, well, if I do something wrong, it doesn't matter and so forth. No, if I am made the righteousness of God in the earth, it means that the good action of God to bring eternal life forth in dust is shown in the earth. And we are seeing the good action of God in that man. That's the righteousness of God. And how do we stand righteous in the presence of such a holy God that has come to promise us all these things when He stands on bended knee and blesses you and speaks well of you? How do we stand righteous in the presence of such a one? We believe Him. That's righteous. 
It was accounted unto Abraham for righteousness. He believed God. What did he believe? He believed that God could do what he said. And that is righteousness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What is condemnation? Who is he that condemns but Christ that was raised from the dead? The Bible says in Romans 8.34. What is condemnation? It is God's action of destruction on all death. Hallelujah. And that Paul said in the presence and in the context, the previous verse, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. But they cannot condemn us by killing us, for he has condemned death and he'll raise us. Hallelujah. I end off with this verse, uh, one verse. Mark 1, 14, Jesus, prior to his death and resurrection, started to preach, and I'm going to read it. Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Some translation says, preach the gospel of God. The gospel of God is the good news of God making His appearance. And He was saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel according to that verse is that the rule of life has now entered the world where there was death and destruction. And this rule of life has got something to do. It's got a vision. It's got a passion. It's got a, 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 a mandate. And you know what the kingdom of God did in the earth? It took one man, born of a woman, all the death of all the world and of all people that would ever be born was put on this one man. And this one man learned obedience by what he suffered. It means he learned what it is to simply trust the Father in difficult times, to stand subject to the Father. And he believed the voice of the Father that was from the beginning. And the worst thing, the what if happened, and he entered into the grave. And the father said, come forth. And the father, by the spirit of life, raised him from the dead. That's what the kingdom of God did in Jesus. He then appointed that Jesus as the president. So that we seek no other. And we are not pushed around by any other. For we have one that can give us and has been assigned by God to give what God's dream is to us. He put it in the hands of Jesus so that it can be sure. It's not in your hands, it's in His. You just believe. I end up with this. Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? I'm waiting here, Lord. I'm patient. I'm filled with the joy of your hope. I, they came and told me you cannot do it, but I know you. You've displayed your faithfulness. These other kids at the school ground try to tell me that you cannot do it, that my daddy is not strong enough. He doesn't have big enough muscles. He doesn't have this and that. But daddy, I've seen what you've done to Abraham. Oh, daddy, I've seen what you've done for Moses. I've seen what you've done where Abraham could believe you that even from the ashes, you'll raise up uh, descendants. Oh, I see that, daddy. You are my father. And my, what you have done in me, 
and the love that you've shown in me prior to dropping me off at this school, your faithfulness that's been put on display from Genesis to Matthew, even into Revelation, has convinced my heart, and I stand up in condemnation against all these voices of fear. For you are faithful, and I'm here, God. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Father, you are your people whom you so deeply love. Lord, thank you that you stretch forth your hand to do signs and wonders and miracles in these people's lives, all pointing to the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead and that you are Lord. I thank you, Father. As was prayed several times over these people, we thank you that you are a present help in the time of need. You know the things that we are going through. You say, first seek my kingdom, my rule of life, and my good action towards you. These other things shall just be added unto you. I thank you, Lord, that these people just see your provision for them in everyday life. And above all, this is my prayer, as what Paul prayed, as what that prayer is called over me, and I prayed it for myself, I pray it for everybody. Thank you, Lord, that you give us enlightened eyes of understanding, that we may see how high, how wide, how deep, and how long the love is of the only begotten of God. Father, I thank you that you strengthen everybody as they go home on their ways to think about these messages, to think about what he said. And I thank you, Lord, that your words will ring true in their hearts and that we will rise up and say, we are the sons of God. I bless these people. I say, you the beloved of God. You are His bride. You are holy. You are God's righteous action in the earth. He will never leave you. He will never abandon you. For not even God can reverse the resurrection. You are sealed in His life and His dream. You are His. He will visit you with His mercy and your children's children. You are safe. Amen. And that is my message. God bless you.